This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. During term one, we focused on reconnecting with one another. Sermons and Bible studies covered topics like love one another, forgive one another, serve one another, and there were lots of others as well, lots of other one another's. We need to continue, of course, to be implementing these things, um, even though Term 1 is now gone and that particular series is finished. But during Term 2, we're changing focus a little to look at reconnecting with the Holy Spirit. We'll be doing a few weeks on who is the Holy Spirit, uh, a few more on the Spirit's work, uh, then to finish off the series, um, a few weeks on the Spirit's gifts. Now, you might be wondering why it's not reconnecting with God or reconnecting with Jesus. Part of the answer to that is because the Holy Spirit has such an important role to play in our lives and in our church. The Holy Spirit is sometimes described, though, as the forgotten or neglected member of the Godhead. Uh, When Johnny heard that I'd chosen the title The Neglected Member of the Trinity uh, as my sermon title today, uh, he passed uh, passed on to me a book from his library that I hadn't seen or read before. Um, It's a book by Francis Chan, written just in 2009, and the title is Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. He begins the book by saying this, You might think that calling the Holy Spirit the forgotten God is a bit extreme. Maybe you agree that the church has focused too much attention elsewhere, but feel it's an exaggeration to say we have forgotten about the Spirit. I don't think so. From my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes, forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers who cannot confidently say that they have experienced his presence or actions in their lives over the past year. Now, I want to hasten to add that um, we're not doing this series because we think the church here has a major problem in this area. On the contrary, I think we're very balanced and biblical in our understanding and practice. And I say that as a a relative newcomer to the church. But of course, there's always room for growth in our knowledge and in our experience. And that's our hope during this series, that we will grow together in our knowledge about the Holy Spirit, but also in our experience of the Holy Spirit. Reconnecting with the Holy Spirit is ultimately about a renewed relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm beginning the series today with an introductory look at who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, And it really is just an introduction today. We'll be building on that over the coming weeks. A simple answer, of course, is the third person of the Trinity. But that raises all sorts of questions in itself, including the very important issue of the nature of the Trinity. So that's where I'm starting. That's what we're going to look at for a few minutes now. That term, the Trinity, is not actually found in the Bible. 
though it is based on a lot of material that we do find in the Bible, including the expression Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The first recorded use of the term was in the late 2nd century. And a general uh, acceptance of uh, a doctrine of uh, the Trinity took another couple of hundred years. Around the end of the 5th century, the Church adopted what's called the Athanasian Creed. And I read just part of the Creed to you. Take a look at this diagram which was developed not long after as a, a visual summary of the creed. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the divine being. For the, pa- for the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Spirit is still another. But the deity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, and so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is infinite. Eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. As there are not three uncreated and unlimited beings, but one who is uncreated and unlimited. Almighty is the Father, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit. And yet there are not three Almighty beings, but one who is Almighty. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. And in this Trinity, no one is before or after, greater or less than the other, but all three persons are in themselves co-eternal and co-equal. And so we must worship the Trinity in unity and the one God in three persons. Now, I haven't even read half of that creed to you. Uh, That's complicated, isn't it? A lot more complicated than the creed we sang as our our second song this morning. Wikipedia has a a description of the Trinity uh, that is a little more simple. Uh, God exists as three persons but is one being, having a single divine nature, Members of the Trinity are co-equal and co-eternal, one in essence, nature, power, action, and will. Uh, Much shorter. Uh, But still, uh, there's a lot there that challenges our understanding. The Trinity is notoriously difficult to describe or explain. I think you probably picked up from that creed. It's even more difficult to comprehend. I thought for a while that the children were going to be in the service this morning and I was going to have to do a children's talk explaining the Trinity to them. <laughs> Can you imagine my relief when I found out that, um, that Rachel was taking them out to a program where she's doing some activities and teaching with them uh, on the Trinity. Um, I'm so thankful. Uh, pray for Rachel. It's hard enough to try and explain it to adults. People have tried to explain the Trinity through all sorts of analogies, and I'm sure you've heard of most of these. Uh, One egg with three parts. There's the yolk and the white and the shell. Um, Or a three-leaf clover. Uh, That's an early Christian symbol um, uh, of the Trinity. Uh, Water in three different states. It can be ice, 
or liquid water or vapour. Uh, the different roles or identities a person might have. For example, a woman might be a mother and a daughter and also a school teacher. Or the interdependence of the, the brain and the heart and the lungs, all depending on each other and all working together. Now, ultimately, though, uh, all analogies are totally inadequate because God is incomparable. God is not like anything. Uh, and ultimately, God is incomprehensible. Millard Erickson, in his book, Christian Theology, says, in the final analysis, the Trinity is incomprehensible. We cannot fully understand the mystery of God. Of, of the Trinity. Because he is the unlimited God and we are limited in our capacity to know and understand. He will always exceed our knowledge and understanding. Those aspects of God which we will never fully comprehend should be regarded as mysteries that go beyond our reason rather than as paradox, uh, as paradoxes that conflict he goes on, um, that's uh, Millard Erickson in his book, uh, to quote an anonymous saying about the Trinity. Try to explain it and you'll lose your mind. I think I'm halfway there. <laughs> uh, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. I came across the, uh, the following preaching tips from Nathan Nettleton uh, on an Australian website, uh, Laughing Bird. I'll give you a tip, he says, to pastors. When the church has traditionally described something as a mystery, don't spend too much energy trying to exhaustively explain it. They probably called it a mystery because no one else had ever managed to explain it either. The good news is that this doesn't matter. Christian faith is not about explanations. It is about experience. It is about a relationship with the living God. I'm going to take that advice uh, from a more experienced pastor and writer and move on and talk about the Holy Spirit and reconnecting with the Spirit. The Holy, uh, just three important points about the Holy Spirit to get us started today. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person, not some kind of vague, impersonal force. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit hears, speaks, intercedes, leads, guides, commands, teaches, convicts. These are all things that a person does. Uh, they're not things that are attributed to some kind of impersonal force. That verse from Romans, Romans 8.26, says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, particularly in relation to prayer. Uh, from Ephesians 4, that verse talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a force. Uh, John 14, 20, uh, sorry, the, the one from Thessalonians talks about quenching the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 25, uh, that verse tells us that Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the parakletos, which literally means the one who comes alongside it's variously translated as advocate, counsellor, comforter, 
or even help us. Jesus says a lot about the Spirit in, um, in that chapter of John and in the following chapters. The gender of the Greek word is neuter. They would expect any related program, uh, a pronoun then to be also neuter. But the unusual thing is, and the, the unique thing is, that uh, Jesus, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, breaks the grammatical rule in Greek. And when it's recorded, uh, it breaks the grammatical rule in Greek. Uh, Jesus doesn't use a neuter program, uh, pronoun. He uses a masculine pronoun. So the, the translation is he, not it. That's what I'll be saying um, during this series to emphasise that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit is male? Or can the Holy Spirit be considered as female, as some tend to do? Well, I'm not going there today. Uh, just as I'm thankful that Rachel was talking to the kids about the Trinity, I'm thankful that Johnny in two weeks' time is going to tackle that issue on Mother's Day, incidentally. Uh, and dealing with that exact topic. So I uh, pray for 22. The second point I want to make uh, just quickly is that the Holy Spirit is fully divine. Francis Chan, in that book that I mentioned earlier, says he is not a lesser or different being than God the Father or God the Son. The Spirit is God. In Genesis 1-2, we see that in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, over the chaos. And then in verse 26, God says, you might like to think about who he's talking to when he says this, let us make humankind in our image. Notice the plurals, us and our. This includes Jesus, we know that from the introduction to John, Word was in the beginning with God and was God, and nothing was created without the Word. But not just Jesus, also the Spirit was there in the beginning. From the very beginning, they were in relationship in the Godhead, and that's from eternity to eternity. The Holy Spirit also possesses the attributes and qualities of God, uh, including omniscience, uh, almighty power holiness. In some places in scripture, uh, God and the Spirit are actually used interchangeably. Uh, another indication that the Holy Spirit is divine. And my third point here uh, in this introduction is that the Holy Spirit is God present. In Old Testament times, God was present with his people in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and later the temple. When Jesus came, he came as Emmanuel, God with us. He was God incarnate, come to earth in physical form for his special mission of salvation. But when Jesus left earth after his resurrection, that's when the Holy Spirit came to be with us. Not just alongside us, but to dwell within each believer. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And in chapter 3, verse 16 of 1, uh, 1 Corinthians? Yes, 1 Corinthians. Uh, you all know John 3.16 about 
God's love for the world and sending Jesus, but add to that 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now, there are some important implications of these three points. They are, the implications are about reconnecting with the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is personal and present, we are meant to have a dynamic personal relationship with the Spirit. That includes talking and praying to the Spirit. We usually pray to the Father, don't we? Uh, Sometimes to Jesus. But not often enough, I think, to the Holy Spirit. Neglected and forgotten. The Holy Spirit is also to be given the same honour and respect and indeed worship as the Father and the Son. Because the Holy Spirit is just as much deity as the Father and Son. Billy Graham wrote a book on the Holy Spirit and began the book by telling this story. An old American Indian legend tells of an Indian who came down from the mountains and saw the ocean for the first time. Awed by the scene, he requested a jar. As he he waded into the ocean and collected some water in the jar, he was asked what he intended to do with it. Back in the mountains, he replied, my people have never seen the great waters. I will carry this jar to them so they can see what it is like. I'm going, to put, I'm going to put this here at the front uh, for the rest of our service just as a, a visual reminder of the point of that story. Um, for those of you who thought this was my homemade water bottle, it's not. Uh, that's my prop and illustration for this morning. I want to close uh, with a quick look at an important Trinitarian blessing that we find in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 13, 13. You know it well. You've heard it often. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Corinthian church had some real problems, which must have saddened Paul no end, seeing he had helped establish it and had ministered amongst them for 18 months early on. His letters address many of his concerns, theologically and practically. Then he ends with that benediction. He wants them, obviously, to have more grace in their interactions with one another, the kind of grace that Jesus displayed. He wanted them to love one another more, with the kind of love shown by the Father. He wanted them to be in fellowship with one another, Holy Spirit-type fellowship. These are all one another things, aren't they? The sort of things we looked at in term one. But there's more to this blessing than just that. Where was the grace and the love and the fellowship going to come from? They would come from the triune God. They would come through connection with the Trinity. Through connection with Jesus, they could experience and grow in the grace of Jesus and then be able to share it with others. Through 
connection with the Father. They could experience the love of the Father and then be able to share that with others. And through their connection with the Spirit, which is our particular focus this term, they could experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and then be able to share that and to put that into action. And so can we. And so, for all of you at NBBC, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.